welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things that have made the scriptures become more real to us because we think that helps us draw more power out of them. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and this is a short cast on what I think is kind of the major theme of the book of Malachi and some uh, things that have really made it come to life for me and made it make uh, it's, it's helped it make a bigger difference in my life and the way I understand the gospel and, and live my life. So I hope that it does the same for you. We're going to, to start uh, just by looking at the beginning of Malachi. Uh, so let me give just a little bit of background on Malachi. It's, it means like my messenger. Uh, so in a way, this is uh, God. Maybe it's a pseudo a code name for all prophets or something like that. Um, we don't know exactly when Malachi uh, preaches. Uh, and, and actually, I'll address that a little bit more in uh, the, the last episode for the Old Testament, which will be with Josh Matson as we look in particular at Malachi chapter three or chapter four, the last two verses, the famous verses about Elijah. In this one, we're going to talk about, um, first of all, Malachi's accusations against Israel and the kinds of offerings they make, uh, including tithes and offerings will be the second thing. And in their uh, way of saying that God isn't fair and the wicked are prospering and what those principles teach us about the whole theme of the book of Malachi and about the way we should view the gospel. So that's that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so we've got uh, this book that really consists of God accusing Judah of different things and then trying to show them how things can and should be different. And it starts out by uh, in verse two. Uh, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? So, and this is the, how he typically does it. I've, I've done this, but you say, wait, how, how does that happen? Or you've done this, but you say, wait, how do we do that? And this is really the question. They, they don't feel like God is showing them the kind of love they want because they're expecting the blessings from God to come without real intent. And that's part of what we're going to look at. And to look a specific way rather than saying, looking at things the way God would have them look at it. So we're going to explore that as we go along. Uh, let's start by uh, going to verse seven. Well, let, we'll start at verse six. A son ought honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? So again, there's the accusation and their question about it. And here's how they've despised his name. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. So see what they're doing is they're, they're uh, taking bread like the bread that's gotten old or that's moldy or that wasn't made right or that isn't kosher. The bread that they wouldn't really eat. And they're saying, well, if we have to offer bread, let's offer the stuff that we wouldn't really eat. That way it's not really a big loss to us. So ye offer polluted bread upon my altar and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. So they don't, the, the table meaning the altar, the, where they offer sacrifice is contemptible. They don't want to give up their best for that. They, they, they just don't like it. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? See, they're supposed to give lambs without blemish. Their best, the perfect things. But instead, they're giving the things that don't work. If it's a blind lamb, it's not going to live anyway. It's not a big loss to them or the lame and the sick. They're going to die anyway, and they're not healthy, and, and they don't not fat and tasty and whatever else. That's what they're going to offer. Now, I love what he says. He says, offer it to thy governor. Will he be pleased with it, with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? So he's saying, yeah, if 
you had to give a goat for uh, taxes, would you give that to the governor and would it work out for you? And the obvious answer is no. Then why are you giving it to me? And now I pray you beseech God that he will be uh, gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith Lord of hosts? So you're saying, we're going to give you blind and lame and sick offerings. Can't you just bless us? Uh, and of course, the answer is, is not. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, let's just look at a little bit more. We're going to go to verse 13. Um, and you said also, behold, what a weariness it is. So it's so weary that they have to keep doing these sacrifices. Oh, not again. I have to get up and go set up chairs again. That kind of a thing. Uh, what a weariness it is. And you've snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And you brought that which was torn. So something that an animal's already mauled. And the lame and the sick, thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? So you see the, the problem, I think, here. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, first of all, what's the problem with that? And we're going to try and address that as we go along. What's the problem with the lame offerings? I think clearly it's, it's, it's somewhat in not fully obeying the letter of the law, but mostly in the intents of their heart. So we're going to come back to that as a major theme. Uh, but... I want us to right now ask the question, how do we offer lame sacrifices? I believe everyone hearing this in some way or another offers lame sacrifices. Sometimes it's the way we do the lesson we need to do or the talk or go and lock up the church or whatever it is, a ministry, whatever it is that we're doing. Sometimes it's a lame offering. Um, sometimes it's not with that best intent and it's not giving our best and it's not really a sacrifice to us. And that's, that's worth thinking about and asking ourselves that question. How do we make lame offerings? How, how uh, is that uh, the kind of thing we're doing? And once you can identify that, then we can get better at it. Let's go to some famous verses. We're going to just move forward um, to Malachi chapter three and of course, we're, we're familiar with the accusations that he makes in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. So, they're not paying their tithes. Now, they, they have been doing at least some offerings. They've just been polluted offerings, right? So that's part of how they're robbing them. And they're, they're also not paying their tithes. And we know the promise. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove. And that's, of course, to take care of the poor and prove me now herewith. I love that. Just try me. Just test me and try me, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What a beautiful promise. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither share your vine cast or fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. So. The, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we pay tithing? What is our intent? Um, and what kind of blessings do we expect? I think this is worth asking ourselves. We often think about uh, blessings in terms of uh, temporal blessings, financial blessings, because we pay financial tithing, right? And I think there is something to that. I've seen that happen in my life. I've seen it happen in the lives of others. I know that's a real thing. I guess I'll share a story real quickly. When I was a, a senior in high school, I was uh, spent the summer working, well, and, and different times I worked cement and different construction jobs, uh, earning some money for college. 
and uh, and I was setting aside tithing. I didn't have checking account or anything like that. And so I was setting aside tithing. And um, then I had the chance to go on a fun graduation trip. And it was uh, to pay the money. I, what I had to do was uh, take my tithing money and pay it. And I thought, that's fine. I'll just pay my tithing later. And then I forgot that until the end of the year. And by the end of the year, I'd spent my money on my freshman year of my freshman first semester at college. And I was uh, I was really, really low on cash. And it came down to a question of I can either pay my tithing. And by the way, I don't recommend postponing paying your tithing for these very reasons. It gets tricky. But anyway, and for other reasons. But uh, uh, I'm not talking about taxes and bunching your payments or anything like that. Just you figure out how that works for you but but there's a danger in in some things anyway uh you'll figure out what works for you with your true intent the uh at the end of the year i had i figured out i had enough money to either pay tithing or buy books for the next semester those were my two choices uh, i didn't have enough money for both and uh, that was a tough decision i don't know how i was going to do well in my classes if i didn't have books but i decided i would pay tithing. so i paid tithing and the next week uh, I got a, a call. Oh, yeah. So I forgot one of the, the my, my biggest job, the way I earned most of my money, I worked for Payless Shoes back when there was a Payless Shoes. And uh, I was their stock boy at the one in Midvale there uh, in, in Utah. So I uh, helped open that store. So uh, I got a call from Payless Shoes and they said, we have a, a check you're supposed to come in and pick up that you never picked up. And I thought, oh, that's odd. I thought I'd got all my paychecks. And they said, well, this is an end of the year kind of thing. So I came in and they said, it was a vacation paycheck. And I said to my manager, I, I was part-time. I don't get vacation pay. And she said, that's what I thought too, but I called corporate and that's what they said. So I called them too. And they said, no, nope, that's yours. It's vacation pay. And it was exactly what I needed to get my books. And I felt like that was a blessing from paying tithing. Now, it doesn't necessarily always work out that way. I'm going to share another story. Um, this is when I was uh, first back from my mission. I was the gospel doctrine teacher. My my best friend and roommate was, uh, you know, one of my best friends was uh, the Sunday school president. And I, surprise, surprise, got called as a Sunday school teacher. And uh, it was the end of the year and I was teaching Malachi. And our bishop, uh, his name was Ted Lyon. He was a Mazer distinguished lecturer, just a fantastic teacher and a fantastic guy. Um, his first counselor who became the bishop after him was a little questionable. This uh, Kevin J. Worthen kind of fellow. But, but anyway, um, uh, Bishop Lyon. I'm just joking. Bishop Worthing was a great bishop, but uh, but Bishop Lyon was in my my class, and I was asking questions. So, how have you seen tithing blessings? And lots of people were saying, "Oh, this and this," and it was all financial stuff. And Bishop Lyon says, "Okay, I want to ask a question." Uh, he said, "When I was a graduate student, my wife and I were down to where our last bit of money was going to be paying tithing, and then we were out of money, and we drove to church. We were, it was like." Uh, a 45 minute drive for us. And we drove to church and paid our tithing. And on the way home, I got like a hundred or $150 speeding ticket. He said, how was that? Blessings from tithing. And I was grateful that I was going with that lesson, the same place I'm going here, that uh, we need to think of blessings as more than financial. Uh, they are more than financial. In fact, I'll just read uh, this from Elder Holland. He says, I can't list all the ways that blessings will come from obedience to this principle, but I testify many will come in spiritual ways that go well beyond economics. So again, I want you to think about our intent when we pay tithing and what blessings really look like when, as we go to our next uh, couple of verses, which 
are, are uh, just right after this. We're going to go down to verse 14. Well, let's uh, start in verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? So there's that accusation in their question again as they try and weasel out of the accusation. Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. So that's the, the question that uh, I want to ask us. Why would they say that? God's not happy with this. Uh, and why would they say it's vain to serve God? And look how the proud are happy and the wicked are blessed. And I have to say that that we only say that when we have an incorrect understanding of things. So again, maybe I can use an example from my own life when I was younger that uh, would help with this. I love water skiing uh, more than just about anything. I, I'm just I, I'm happy when I'm on a lake and when I'm water skiing. That just makes me so happy. Uh, probably even more than a good motor motorcycle ride in the summer or the fall. But uh, I love I love water skiing, and I can remember when I was uh, uh, in young men's. And uh, I'd be going to church and I'd see people on, on my way. I'd see people who were getting their boat out and going uh, skiing on Sunday. And I can remember thinking to myself, it's too bad that I know about the Sabbath day and that I know that I shouldn't go skiing because if I didn't know that, then I could be out having fun like them. And now I want you to stop and ask yourself, what's wrong with that thinking? Right? I was a little immature and, uh, Ask yourself, what is wrong with that thinking? And uh, I'll just, as you've had a second, I hope to think about it and and uh, see the error of my ways. Then we can talk about uh, this notion. I did not have a good idea of what true happiness was and the principles of obedience to God's laws and, and commandments and principles. Because, in fact, obeying the Sabbath does bring great peace. And great spiritual growth, and uh, it's important in so many ways, more ways than I can even outline or understand, and more so than skiing. So yes, skiing is fun, but I would not be happier if I were, even with impunity, right? If I didn't know the law, so I weren't held accountable, and so it was a transgression, not a sin, or whatever else, I still would be less happy because I was skiing on Sundays, because I wouldn't be getting the blessings of Sabbath worship and the blessings of knowing God's will and following it. And I think this is the thread that we see behind all of the, these accusations. So if you look at all of them and you look at the, the, we'll have a discussion, as I said with Josh about um, the covenant and the promises to the fathers. If you look at all of them, I think everything in Malachi falls under this one theme and it's understanding true blessings. So let's stop and ask ourselves a question. What is the greatest blessing that God will ever give you, ever. What's the greatest blessing you'll ever receive? And I think we would all agree that it's eternal life. And what is eternal life? Well, it's being able to be with God and in his presence forever. And why will we be able to do that? Well, because we will have been made like God. We'll be God-like or Christ-like. A little bit through what we do and 99.9% .9 through Christ's atoning uh, power, right? So that's, that's uh, very important to remember, but we will be God-like or Christ-like. That's the greatest blessing we will ever receive is to have our natures changed to be godly or Christ-like. That's what we're looking for. That's the greatest blessing. So I would then submit that 
the greatest blessings we can receive between now and when we are fully godly is to have our nature change to become a little bit more godly. That's the greatest blessing you can be receiving right now is to be more Christ-like, to have your nature change to be more Christ-like. So when you give a lame sacrifice, you don't become more Christ-like. But when you give a sacrifice because you love God and you love his children and you want to do God's will, then you have great peace and joy and you become more Christ-like. And that's a great blessing. When you pay your tithes because you love God and you love his children and you want to do God's will, then you become more Christ-like. And that's the greatest blessing. It's better than getting enough money to buy books. Uh, it's, it's better than getting enough money to buy food. It's better than not getting a speeding ticket. It, to become more Christ-like is the greatest blessing. How about then looking at the, the rebellious and the wicked, and it seems like they're happy? Well, I think we're applying the world's definition of success, the world's definition of being blessed, the world's definition of things working out. We see them water skiing and think that's a thrill. That's fun. That's correct. It's not real happiness. It's not what we really want. We have this problem of accusing God and saying it's vain to serve God. Look how unfair it is. The wicked are, are blessed. Only when we use the world's measuring stick, not God's. And the world's measuring stick, as President Nelson has taught us so well recently, will not bring you peace and rest. When we follow the world's values, seeking, and I think his, the things he mentioned were um, power, popularity, possessions, and pleasures of the flesh, but really anything that the world values, um, when we pr uh, pursue those, we will find that they cannot satisfy. They, those desires cannot be satiated. They're insatiable by nature. They cannot be satisfied. They cannot make us happy. They cannot bring us rest and peace. They cannot bring us contentment. They cannot bring us true joy. It's impossible. They're incapable of it. But if we look at the world's definition of happiness, success, and so on, then we'll think that the wicked are happy when in fact they are not. They are just doing these things because they're trying to find a way to be happy and their needs aren't being met. When we follow the world's ways, then we just keep again and again and again trying to meet our needs in ways that cannot meet them. In fact, uh, in this great devotional by Janet Erickson that was given the BYU November 8th, and I recommend for everyone to listen to that, uh, she quoted a, a, a state president therapist and some others, basically teaching us that sin is us trying to meet our needs in ways that can't meet our needs. It's us trying to medicate ourselves with medicine that's like a, an illegal drug that can't help us and leaves us worse off. All forms of sin are that. Everything we do wrong is that. Pursuing things from the world's point of view will fail us. But if we are doing, if we're paying our tithing, if we're making and keeping covenants with God and doing, uh, helping others and on the other side of the veil and in this life receive those covenants, uh, as is talked about in, in Malachi chapter four, if we're paying, paying tithing, if we're um, giving true sacrifices of ourselves and our time and our energy and who we are, and so on and so on. If we're doing those things, we are becoming more godlike uh, or more Christ-like, and then we're really receiving great blessings, blessings that leave or yield true joy and rest and peace and happiness. And that's really the message of Malachi and the message of the whole Old Testament. God is always, and, and you'll note that, that uh, in Malachi, we get this phrase, return unto me. That's one of the, he says it a number of times, um, and that is one of the the great um, phrases of the Old Testament, turn or return unto me. And uh, God is always waiting for us, always willing to give us another chance to help us learn how to do things with real intent 
to keep covenant, give us Christ's power to change our nature so that we can become God-like and, and Christ-like. That's what the entire Old Testament is about. That's what the whole gospel is about. And I am so grateful that it's possible because of God's love, his covenant, and because of the atoning sacrifice, uh, a real and true sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.